Hi, it's Rob West. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to let you know that last year, more than 45,000 people searched for a local certified kingdom advisor or CKA in their area. These financial, legal, and accounting professionals have completed a certification program to give biblically wise financial advice as a part of their practice. You can find a local CKA professional in your area by going to moneywise.org and clicking the Find a CKA button on the homepage. You've heard the commercials for insurance that locks your title and protects your house, but is it really worth it? Hi, I'm Rob West. Just the words home title fraud are enough to cause concern for many homeowners. And there are several insurance products on the market that claim to provide protection. But do they? I'll talk about that today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is MoneyWise, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Okay, we've talked about this before, but we've been getting a lot of calls about it lately, so it's probably time to revisit the idea of title fraud insurance. The idea behind it is that you're minding your own business one day and you get a call or letter saying that a lender is about to foreclose on your home for non-payment of a loan you didn't take out. You think, how could this happen? Well, an identity thief simply strolled into your county deeds office, faked your signature on a quit claim deed, and transferred ownership of your home to someone else. The thief then took out a home equity loan or refinanced with cash out and skipped town. After a few months of non-payment, the lender is now looking to foreclose on you. Now, as I said, many companies are claiming their insurance can protect you from this type of fraud. But what exactly are you buying with title fraud insurance, which, by the way, usually costs around 15 bucks a month? Well, first, you have to understand what you're not buying. This isn't what's typically known as title insurance, which you should always get when you purchase a property. It protects you against any claim involving the validity of your ownership of the property. And it's a one-time purchase, usually several hundred dollars. Title fraud insurance, on the other hand, what we're talking about today, is a completely different product. It isn't really insurance at all. It doesn't lock your title, and it won't protect you if a scammer forges your signature and transfers your title. These products will usually just monitor whether your deed has been transferred out of your name at the county records office. Now, that might be helpful if you're able to react in time and challenge the deed transfer at the records office before the scammer takes out a new loan. So it's on you to act. Also, there's no way to actually lock a title in any state. There's nothing to stop a scammer from forging your signature and transferring a deed out of your name. But the good news is you can monitor whether a fraudulent transfer has occurred all by yourself. Most counties now allow you to view the status of your deed online, and some counties even allow you to sign up for automated alerts involving deed changes. But again, if you don't challenge a fraudulent deed transfer in time, a thief can still take out loans against the property. 
Okay, but there's more good news. In theory, at least, you don't really need protection against this type of fraud. If someone forges your signature, transfers your deed, and then takes out a loan against the property, it's still fraud. The con artist didn't legally own your property, so the lender doesn't have a legal claim to it as collateral. If the lender tries to foreclose on you, it would be wrongful foreclosure and wouldn't hold up in court. Plus, the lender almost certainly required the scammer to buy lender's title insurance at closing, protecting them against loss. So the lender would be covered and might not even take you to court. And one more bit of good news? Possibly. Uh, Take out your title insurance documents from when you purchase the property. Look to see what it covers and doesn't. It will always protect you from legal claims against your ownership, but not necessarily against fraud. If it doesn't, you can purchase a title insurance policy that protects against fraud, even if you bought the property years ago. Now, I realize that all of this can be a bit confusing, so let's review. I mentioned lender's title insurance earlier. You usually have to pay for that whenever you finance the purchase of a property, but it protects only the lender. That's why I said it's important that you get owner's title insurance when you buy a home to protect you. It not only protects you from legal claims against your property, it will also cover any fees involved with defending your ownership. In most cases, the title company will actually provide an attorney to represent you. So the bottom line is title insurance, always a good idea. Title fraud insurance, probably not worth the money. All right, I hope we cleared that up. Your calls are next, 800-525-7000. By the way, if you're a part of the MoneyWise family and you want to support this ministry, you can do that quickly and easily on our website at moneywise.org. Just click Give and thanks in advance. I'm Rob West, and we'll be right back. Do you ever feel stressed or anxious about money? If so, that's normal. But you don't have to accept that. You can find peace of mind and financial security. Learn how with the 31-day devotional, Money Seeking God's Wisdom. You'll find powerful scripture and practical exercises for spiritual and financial growth. You can request your copy with a gift of any amount. Would you consider a monthly or one-time gift by December 31st? Just visit moneywise.org give. How should we as Christians think about investing? What if we could invest our money in a way that aligns with what we believe? At Eventide, we believe it is possible to love God and love our neighbor in the very practice of investing. We design investments for performance and a better world so you can invest for the future with a sense of wholeness and purpose. We call this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at investeventide.com. Welcome back to Money Wise. I'm Rob West, your host. We're taking your calls and questions today as we turn the corner to any financial topic. We'd love to hear from you. The number to call is 800-525-7000. That's right. Lines are open today. And the number to call is 800-525-7000. Before we head to the phones, let me remind you as we head toward year end, now that we're officially in December, the final month of the year, it's a great time to remind you of our reliance on your support here as a ministry at MoneyWise Media. We only do what we do because of our listener donations, those of you who support 
this ministry either one time or uh, as a monthly patron. It goes a long way to helping us shore up our ministry budget for the year as we close out this year, but also as we plan for 2023. So if you would consider a gift, we'd certainly be grateful, uh, especially this time of year before December 31st. It is a tax-deductible gift uh, because we are a not-for-profit ministry, and you can give quickly and securely on our website at moneywise.org. Just click the Give button. So if you'd consider being a part of that, we'd certainly be grateful. Again, moneywise.org at the top of the page. Just click Give Now, and thanks in advance. All right, let's head to your phone calls today. We've got several lines open at 800-525-7000. We're going to begin with Carrie in Montana. Carrie, go right ahead. Yes, thank you very much for your program. I greatly appreciate it. And thank I've you. learned a lot of things from listening to you. Okay, my question that. is, if you, I would like to know if you could explain this to me. I've been told, and people say, that after full retirement age, you can earn as much as you want. So if you're drawing Social Security, is there a limit to what you can draw? Or is it a state or federal law that mandates that? I, I, I've been told that it, what you earn will still be taxed. And there's a limit Uh, to when your Social Security would be taxed also. Is that true? Well, a couple of things here. So there's the reduction that occurs if you earn over a certain amount prior to your full retirement age. And that's separate from the portion of your Social Security benefits that are taxable. So let's deal with that first part. Uh, Once you reach full retirement age, and this is probably what uh, you've heard referenced, there's no limit uh, on what you can earn as in income uh, before your monthly benefit is reduced. Uh, prior to that, uh, prior to full retirement age, let's say you began taking benefits at 62 and your retirement age was 67. Uh, prior to age 67, um, if your benefit, the, the check that you receive from Social Security based on your work record, uh, would be reduced by a dollar for every $2 you earn above $19,560. So let's say you continue to work and you're making more than $19,560. Well, they're going to reduce your monthly benefit by a dollar for every $2 you earn above that. Now, that's not a permanent reduction, and here's why. Once you reach full retirement age, they will begin to pay you back for that amount they withheld in the form of a higher check over a number of months until it's fully restored to you uh, the amount that they reduced it by. So that's what folks are returning to, re- referring to when they say there's no limit as to what you can earn if you continue to work and you're taking benefits prior to full retirement age, um, once you reach that full retirement age, you can earn as much as you'd like. Now, with regard to the taxes on Social Security benefits, uh, you, you'll pay up to 85% uh, of your Social Security, you pay taxes on up to 85% of your Social Security benefits if 
uh, with a uh, an individual return, your income exceeds twenty five thousand for this year, and with a joint return more than thirty two thousand, uh, you'll have up to eighty five percent of those benefits taxable, which just means you would be paying federal income taxes on that. So uh, those are two separate things. One has to do with your ability to continue to work and earn income, and the other has to do with what portion of your benefits are taxable. Does that make sense? Yes. So if I'm not retiring and I haven't drawn any Social Security until I'm 70, then all that really applies is not earning more than 25000 a year. Correct. That's correct. Um, only as to the taxes, though, it, you're welcome to earn far more than that um, when you begin taking it because you can earn as much as you want. It's just that uh, it will begin to be taxable once you exceed that 25000 threshold for your combined income. So that's your adjusted gross income plus your interest income and then uh, your Social Security benefits. Okay. That, thank you so much. I was trying to okay. understand that, and it's, like, confusing. <laughs> thank you so very much. That answers you, my question. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for calling, Carrie. God bless you. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. We'd love to hear from you today with whatever's on your mind, financially speaking. Uh, let's head to Florida. John, you're next on the program. Go ahead, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I have a question about annuities. Um I guess these are non-qualified because I've already paid tax on the money that I put in the annuity, and okay. I wanted to know if there's any negative ramifications to combine some of them. I've had them for quite a few years, and some of them are pre-TEFRA, although I don't think that will affect me anymore because I'm now 70. Yes. Okay, very good. Um, so you, um, you're not looking to put qualified money in. You're just looking to combine annuities that are both uh, non-qualified? Right, right. Okay, and yeah. Make sure I'm understanding non-qualified. I get them confused. It's, they, they weren't, um, I've already paid tax on the money that I put into them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly right. That's the definition. So you have both qualified and non-qualified annuities and the non-qualified annuity is essentially a retirement savings product you fund with after-tax dollars. So the money in the account grows um, without being taxed and then you pay the tax on it when you take the distribution uh, from the account. Uh, and as to the ability to combine those, uh, yes, you absolutely can combine uh, your annuities as long as they have the same, uh, you know, status with regard to tax treatment. Are you there, John? All right. looks like we lost you. Hopefully that helps you, sir. We appreciate you checking in with us today. If we can help you further along the, along the way, just let us know. Well, folks, we've got some lines open today. In just a moment, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'd love to tackle what's on your mind. Kathleen and Clint will be heading your way. But uh, we've got some lines open at 800-525-7000. That's the number to call. Again, 800-525-7000. We'll also be uh, taking a few of your emails today. We receive questions all the time 
time at questions at moneywise.org. Again, that's questions at moneywise.org. Uh, we'll tackle one on co-signing. That's right. Julie wrote to us. She's co-signed on a, a loan for her son, and he's no longer making the payments. In fact, they have a strained relationship. She's wanting to know what can she do. I Fortunately, that is a really tough situation, and it underscores why the Bible is so clear on not co-signing, but I'll weigh in on that just around the corner. This is Money Wise. For a bit longer, anyway, we'll change our name in the new year. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Siri, what's the best way to save for college? Hmm, I'm not sure. Well, what does the Bible say about co-signing for a loan or investing for retirement? I don't know that either, but you can find those answers on the free MoneyWise app. Really? Sure. You can connect with the online community and get answers and encouragement from MoneyWise coaches. That sounds great. Siri, download the MoneyWise app. Got it. Learn, Learn more, more at MoneyWise.org. Hey, Greg, I need some advice. Oh, what's up? I'm really struggling with finding ways to cut back. With costs going up, especially in healthcare, what do you guys do? Oh, uh, we use CHM, Christian Healthcare Ministries. It's a health cost sharing ministry that's been sharing members' eligible medical bills for over 40 years. Sure helped us stick to our budget. Hmm. Uh, here's the website chministries.org. C-A-C-H-Ministries.org. Welcome back to Money Wise. I'm Rob West, your host. You know, as we think about managing our money, we want to look to God's Word for instruction on how we can be found faithful as stewards, managers of God's resources, recognizing money or more of it shouldn't be our aim because money is a tool to accomplish God's purposes. It's a means to an end. Well, what is that end? Well, to bless other people and be generous, to provide for our families. Yes, to enjoy it. But when we look to Scripture, we see principles, big ideas and themes about how we should approach this topic of money, which so often can be a competitor to lordship in our lives. We don't want to allow it to do that, despite what the world would tell us. Our self-worth does not equal our net worth. We find our value and our worth in Jesus, and we use money as a tool to accomplish his purposes. Well, together, each day we gather on this program to mind the scriptures and apply God's wisdom to the financial decisions and choices you're making. The lines are full, so let's head right back to the phones. Uh, to Nebraska. Hi, Sherry. How can I help you? Uh, yes, uh, my uh, dad just passed away a few days ago, um, and he left no will. Uh, and there, there, he doesn't have, own a bunch of houses or anything like that. There's a very uh, small amount, maybe a vehicle and a few thousand dollars. Um, but since there's no, I was, I Googled and it says something, there's no will that has to, you've got to go through probate yeah. court. Is that true? Even if uh, it's yeah. a small amount? Yeah, you know, I would uh, check with an estate planning attorney on that. I mean, the probate laws vary 
uh, by state. It's possible there's a threshold for probate under which, you know, it wouldn't be necessary. I would check with an attorney, a state attorney in your area, just to find out, given the size of the estate, what they recommend you do. Obviously, you could initiate the probate process by petitioning the court, and that would be the typical process for an intestate estate, which is one that uh, does not uh, have a will associated with it. But to your point, it could be that uh, just doesn't read that threshold of being necessary. Um, I might contact your church and see if there's a godly estate planning attorney that you could connect with um, that uh, could advise you on that, Sherry. I think that might be the next best thing because you want to make sure you do this properly. And so I think getting some good counsel as to whether or not uh, petitioning the court for a probate um, court is, is necessary or not. If you don't know of a godly estate planning attorney, you could contact a certified kingdom advisor in your area uh, by going to our website, moneywise.org, and then just ask for a referral. Thanks for your call today. We'll head to Illinois next. Kathleen, you're next up on the program. Go ahead. Hi, I have, uh, uh, we pretty much can buy the things we need, and so we do. And I have gotten to the point where I end up buying things and then it doesn't quite work, so I buy something else. And then I've got the other thing that I spent the money on, but I'm not sure. It's like, and then it's like I kind of don't know how to balance when I get something and it doesn't quite work right. And then I'm misplacing everything because I'm trying something new. And it, it's mm. very, it's in more than one area. There's the physical, there's the cooking, there's the crafts for my, you know, that I'm trying to do to, to be able to do things for people. And there's the cleaning yeah. supplies. I'm, Buried, and I don't know how to uh, balance the cost and how to um, how to justify what's okay and what's not okay, and yes. I'm kind of stuck there. Yeah. I can certainly understand, and I appreciate your transparency on that. It's a great question. I suspect there's a lot of listeners right now that are resonating with what you're saying, Kathleen. What you're describing is called the paradox of prosperity, and here's what that means. It means the more we have, the more choices we have, and the more complex life is because the less real freedom we have because all of this stuff that we have requires time and attention, and we've got to change the oil, and we've got to maintain it, and we've got to find a place to store it. And, uh, you know, we can allow our lives to get very complex and complicated and rob us of the things that really bring true joy. You know, as you said, you're making crafts to bless people, and that's a great thing unless just the process of that creates a lot of complexity and confusion. And so I think the big idea here, Kathleen, is how do you simplify your life in a way that allows you to declutter and not have so much stuff and maybe slow down on kind of the intake of things, one of the the best governors for that, if you will, uh, is the family budget. And, you know, you allocating a certain dollar amount, um, you know, to a particular category. And when you've depleted that, it's gone. Uh, and you're done spending for that month, which means if you want to buy something else, well, you've got to return the thing that you bought before you can go buy something else. And you've got to agree to yourself that even though maybe you have some financial margin, you could buy both of them, you're going to limit yourself to a certain dollar amount. And that's where the tried and true envelope system can 
be very effective. If you were to say, listen, I'm going to put X dollars a month in the craft envelope, and once that's depleted, I'm done spending for the month, it might make you a little bit more intentional about what purchases you make and don't make. I think it's going to require a little more effort, but I think to your point, it will give you greater joy because you'll have less clutter, you'll have less things, and you'll have more margin because if you limit your spending in each of these categories that have a tendency to get away from you, and there's probably only a few of them at the end of the day, uh, then it will kind of put a restraint in place on some of the spending you may be doing frivolously because you really don't have an end. There's not a cap on what you're spending in a given month in any one of these areas. The other key is just understand what is the reason you're spending. You know, is it to try to satisfy some need that that physical item is not ultimately intended to meet? Uh, you know, are you looking <laughs> to try to meet some emotional need that you have or some other uh, need that a purchase may only meet temporarily, but ultimately is going to leave you feeling empty? And, you know, there is, uh, I think many of us have a compulsion to spend and we need to be honest with ourselves about, you know, why am I spending? And so maybe um, take this month and make that a matter of prayer. Just ask the Lord to reveal to you, is there anything you need to see in your heart or in your motivations uh, with regard to your spending that might bring some more clarity in this area and cause you uh, to maybe step back a bit? And that's not something I'm directing at you. I'm directing that at myself and all of us. I think we can stand to benefit from an understanding that every spending decision is ultimately a spiritual decision. Doesn't mean we can't enjoy things and buy things for fun, especially when we're using it to bless other people. But it does mean that we every now and then need to take a step back and say, Lord, what do I need to see here? And are these purchases actually to try to meet a need that ultimately only you can fulfill? And uh, these purchases will never actually do that. So maybe you think and pray about that this month, Kathleen. And at the same time, very practically, let's go ahead and set up that budget using the envelope system. Uh, and see if that might help to uh, rein in your spending in a few of these categories that have a tendency to get away. Thanks for your call today. That's going to do it for this edition of the program. We have covered a lot of ground, it seems, and that's always the goal. My thanks to our amazing team today, including Deb Solomon, Amy Rios, Jim Henry, and Gabby T. I'm Rob West. I'll be back again next time and hope you will too for the next edition of Money Wise. Moneywise is provided by Moneywise Media and listeners like you.